a volunteer chaplain at Planned Parenthood of Northern New England. When patients come to the health center, they typically have to walk through a gauntlet of protesters out on the sidewalk who are adamantly opposed to abortion, often are opposed to contraception. So when women have to walk through that gauntlet of shame and judgment, they may not be expecting right off that they will encounter another person of faith inside the clinic. From Religion News Service, this is Beliefs. I'm Bill Baker. Our guest this week serves in an unexpected ministry, volunteer chaplain at a reproductive health clinic, scholar, activist, and Presbyterian minister, Reverend Marvin Ellison is a professor emeritus in Christian ethics at Bangor Theological Seminary. He has spent a career working for a more nuanced understanding of the awesome power of human reproduction. Beliefs producer Jay Woodward met with Reverend Ellison at his home in Portland, Maine. Reverend Ellison, thank you for joining us on Beliefs. Glad to be here with you. So you work as a chaplain at Planned Parenthood of Northern New England in Portland, Maine. Uh, The chaplain falls in an interesting spot. It's not the leader of a congregation where everybody has agreed that we want you to be our leader and we are going to be the congregation and we'll all uh, enjoy that together. This is something else. You're in a different kind of hierarchy and you're asked to join a different organization and I wouldn't say divided loyalties, but I would say that there is um, another organization on top of the work that you're doing. It's side by side, isn't it? Yes. And I think the experience that I've had with Planned Parenthood has been very collegial. Planned Parenthood nationally has had on and off uh, affiliates that have included chaplains on staff. Uh, Some of those positions have been paid, others are voluntary, and the arrangement here in Portland is uh, voluntary. We're not paid staff, we're faith leaders in the community who volunteer our time and uh, energy, and uh, there are now seven of us that on a rotating basis um, spend a day at the Planned Parenthood Health Center. What does your day look like? What are you doing with the patients at Planned Parenthood every day? So um, typically, I try to make a connection with uh, people early in their day when they have come to the health center. For women who are there for abortion care, that will include a counseling session with a staff member Um, where where they go over all the medical information, but also um, uh, discuss with uh, the woman whether she is fully aware and willing to proceed to terminate uh, her pregnancy. Um, I'll often meet women early on and introduce myself as a chaplain who will be at the health center and available? What is what do they? What is the reaction when you tell people you're a chaplain? 
So um, I, I always have a good reaction. I've never had anyone seemingly be unhappy about meeting a chaplain. What What's typical, though, I, I, over the, the last three years, I've I've sort of discovered that I get typically one of three responses when I introduce myself. One response is, chaplain? What's a chaplain? Because I think we live increasingly in a secularized society where people may know what a rabbi or a priest or a pastor does, but may not have ever had an opportunity to meet a chaplain or uh, have that connection. What, what do you tell them when they ask you what a chaplain is? So one of the things I say is a, a chaplain here at Planned Parenthood is a person who, like Planned Parenthood as a whole, cares about the whole person, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And as a representative of the faith community, I'm particularly concerned with the state of their soul. What can I do to listen, offer support, and care? And uh, that's often uh, uh, warmly received, especially, I think, because when patients come to the health center, they typically have to walk through a gauntlet of protesters out on the sidewalk who are adamantly opposed to abortion, often are opposed to contraception, So when women have to walk through that gauntlet of shame and judgment, they may not be expecting right off that they will encounter another person of faith inside the clinic. And my hope is when they meet me or one of my colleagues, they'll understand that many people of faith, in fact, are supportive of Planned Parenthood and its effort to provide the best quality health care, sexuality education, and support for both women and men. So one response I get is, oh, chaplain, what's a chaplain? Another response is, chaplain, I never knew Planned Parenthood had chaplains. What a great idea. This is terrific. No, 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 thank you. I, I don't need a conversation myself right now. I'm, I'm doing fine, but I'm, I'm glad you are here, and I'm glad chaplains are at Planned Parenthood. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then the, the third uh, response I get is from someone uh, who's not having an easy time, who finds it stressful to be in a healthcare setting or... Um, are there by themselves without a family support or a friend and need that extra bit of care from someone like a chaplain who is there uh, simply for them. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's been an honor uh, t- to be a, a colleague to the Planned Parenthood staff and to have this opportunity uh, to support women and their uh, partners when they come for health services. When the patients come for health services, it's obviously going to be a loaded, fraught moment for them. I'm thinking about what it must be like to go through the protests outside, to make it inside. I take your point that a chaplain being the first person is probably unexpected. Um, what What is going through their minds at that point? What are they wrestling with? Is it is it just the morality 
of a termination of a pregnancy, uh, but it, is it is it also so many other things? I imagine it, it has to be the intersection of of their income, of relationship status, of perhaps their jobs. Um, what's going through their mind at that moment? That's a great question. I what I've learned from my conversation these past three years and prior to that, when I talked with women and couples about decisions about whether or when to become parents, um, one of the things that I've come to appreciate is that by and large, by the time people have arrived at the Planned Parenthood Health Center, they've resolved the question about whether it's the right time to bring a child into the world. And if they're still struggling with that question or seem confused or conflicted, it's typically not the chaplain, but rather a member of the Planned Parenthood staff that will encourage them to slow down and not proceed until that person um, has reached greater clarity, is more resolved uh, about that issue. Um, and sometimes the Planned Parenthood staff will ask me or another of the chaplains to meet with the person to have some more conversation as they're trying to reach moral clarity about what the appropriate decision is for them with respect to their pregnancy. But what I've come to value is that the struggles that most women and their partners are experiencing are not around the pregnancy or the abortion per se, but rather about their life circumstances. They may be struggling because they would love to have an additional child, but they already have one or more children and it would not be financially feasible for them to care for another child. So they're struggling with their financial constraints and often are sad because if circumstances were different, they would love to welcome another child. But they realistically assess that that would not be helpful either to the new child or to their existing children. And so they're struggling with their economic limits. Or women will come who find that their relationship is not as stable as they would like it to be, and they're uncertain if it has a future. And so they don't want to bring new life into the world unless there are two adults who can provide care. And so they're struggling, again, not with the decision that they've reached, but rather with their life circumstances. Or they're struggling because they would love to be a parent, plan to be a parent in the future, but they have an obligation to finish their school program. It's not the right time. And so I think what I have come to deeply respect is the moral seriousness, the moral courage, the moral wisdom that women and their partners are exhibiting as they make these terribly important decisions 
Sometimes it's a hard decision to reach, not for everyone, but regardless of the difficulty or ease with which people make their decisions, I have yet to meet anyone. I have never met a woman who has made this decision casually or thought it was of no consequence or that it didn't matter to her or her community. Far from it. I find that both women and their partners are exhibiting extraordinarily thoughtful, moral agency to ask themselves, given our capacity to procreate, to bring new life into this world, how do we handle that power responsibly? And how do we make the best decisions possible, often in circumstances that are less than optimal? And so my sort of guiding principle is I assume people are doing the best they can under less than perfect circumstances. And rather than judge women or uh, couples for the decisions they make, I think we need to listen and learn from them about their capacity to make these decisions with such moral seriousness. I think we would learn a lot about what being responsible adults uh, making tough decisions looks like. Of course, abortion is right at the core of so many vehement conversations. This is something, as, as Americans, we really grapple with. I imagine there are some in the faith community who feel as though the work that you do at Planned Parenthood would be considered a betrayal. Do you encounter pushback at all? Oh, that's a good question. Of course, I think the moral conflict typically is sharpest within religious traditions rather than outside. In other words, I think I am most at odds with some of my more conservative counterparts in my own tradition than I am with people from differing traditions. And so I think historically where we find ourselves is that we are at a moment when much of the received moral wisdom about so many things is now in question. And one of the reasons it's in question is because life has changed. Couples throughout history have struggled to control their fertility. People may not realize, but the most common means of family limitation, of fertility control, has been infanticide, child abandonment, or the sale of children by desperately impoverished parents. And uh, 
we need to appreciate that under modern conditions, we have available medically safe and legal uh, access to reproductive health care that includes access to effective contraception, but also to medically safe and affordable abortion. Increasingly, women who elect to terminate pregnancies do so early in their pregnancies. And surely that is a far more appropriate and humane way to limit fertility than it is to resort to infanticide or child abandonment uh, as responses. The, the reality is, in the modern world, most couples seek to have, on average, two children and then spend three or more decades working hard to avoid further pregnancy. And so part of what we're running up against is the remarkable power of human fertility, which, if we didn't provide appropriate ways to limit fertility would mean we would have far more population struggles to deal with than we do already. So historically, we're at a very interesting juncture where, for the first time, uh, we have available medically safe and effective means to prevent pregnancy, that sexually active heterosexual couples are able to limit the number of pregnancies. And this, this power to intervene into the natural process and to morally manage our procreative power is an extraordinary development that I think culturally we're still adjusting to. And what this means is uh, we humans now have moved procreation away from being a biological mandate or a biological necessity to being a moral choice. We are in the enviable position of being able to experience elective birth, birth by choice, not by biological dictate. Combine that with the global movement in our time of the empowerment of women as the subjects of their lives rather than the objects of others' control, that you put these two together, our capacity to direct our procreative power and the rise of women's humanity uh, and moral agency— we are at a different historical moment than uh, generations before us could scarcely imagine. And for some, this is unsettling. Not certain we should be exercising this moral power to regulate fertility. There's ambivalence not only about abortion, but in some religious conservative circles, about contraception. Do we humans have this moral freedom? Should we have the moral freedom, the moral right to make choices about whether and when to have children 
or not. And uh, so there's a deep divide in almost every religious tradition around these questions. My own tradition has resolved in support of the right to reproductive health, reproductive justice as a moral good. Our more conservative counterparts are still struggling with this question. And in part, the question about abortion is a unspoken debate about women, about women's sexuality, about gender roles and expectation, and about male prerogatives. We don't always talk about that, but I think some of the heat of this moral debate about contraception and abortion only makes sense when we realize that at the heart of the matter is the question, who has the moral freedom, the moral right to make these decisions? And because this power rests now in women's hands, is troubling to those who feel more at ease with a more patriarchal worldview and cultural pattern of family life. So the abortion question is not a small question. It's a deeply rooted moral question and cultural uh, issue that I think we will continue to struggle with uh, for some time to come. Reverend Ellison, thank you for joining us on Beliefs. You are most welcome. Thank you. Our guest was Reverend Marvin Ellison, volunteer chaplain for Planned Parenthood of Northern New England. The conversation continues on our Facebook page, and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, come review us on iTunes. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer. The theme music is by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker, and thank you for listening.